You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to AOA. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. We always appreciate that. And we certainly hope all of you had a great weekend. Weather across the country was okay for some producers to get some work done this past weekend. It was less than ideal for folks in the Southern Plains, though they did finally get some rain. We'll talk weather in segment two with John Baranek of DTN Weather. Before we do that, however, we're going to take a look at these markets. Friday, we saw the markets moving higher. Grain complex was moving up, up, up. However, As we start this week following that holiday three-day weekend, the trade is moving down. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joins us today. And Darren, it looks like we are seeing a lot of those buys on Friday turn into sales today in the grain complex. Yeah, we certainly are, Mike, and it's it's going to be an interesting couple of days. You know, we're, we're coming up on the end of the month, and that always makes things fun. Uh, we were coming out of a three-day holiday weekend, additional joy there. And, you know, to top it all off, this is the end of the quarter for the grain and soybean, uh, grain com- grain sector and soybeans, not necessarily all the oilseed markets, but particularly, uh, you know, corn, wheat, and soybeans. So we, you know, at these, when we close the books at the end of May, you know, that's the end of the third quarter for uh, old crop corn and soybeans. So, so there is a lot of activity going on that really doesn't have anything to do with fundamentals at this point. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of non-commercial activity. To me, it goes back to last Friday, CFTC commitments to trade report, which first positions as of a week ago today. And so, you know, it's just a lot of positioning going on right now. I don't see a lot of fundamental change. Yes, it rained in parts, you know, across much of the plains. It was dry for the Midwest. It's still the end of May. We're just now moving into June, the, the beginning of meteorological summer. So a lot of summer waits ahead of us. It does indeed. Darren, before we get into the wheat market, which we're seeing wheat down on the day here, Chicago down 17, hard reds down 30, mm. uh, Minneapolis down 23. Uh, we've also got down in corn and soybeans, but we've got two different, at least as of last week, technical stories playing mm-hmm. out the corn market and the soybean market. Corn was holding that $5 line in the new crop more or less. As you take a look at the corn market this week, Darren, where's the risk here in this new crop contract? The, the biggest thing with December corn uh, December 23 corn is the April close of 527 and three quarter. If we close above that tomorrow, May 31st, then we we complete a bullish reversal pattern on its long term monthly chart. I'll be talking about it uh, for you know for quite some time here this week, a lot this week. Uh, so that'll be key is where we close in relation to that 27 and three quarter mark. Yeah, as of as for old crop July. To you know, it keeps running up and testing the 50-day moving average, which is calculated Tuesday at 6:06. Now, I'm not a big moving average analyst. I know there's a lot of them out there, but algos do have some of them built in, and the 50-day seems to hold pretty well in corn. And July has been banging its head against its 50-day moving average the last couple of sessions. Couldn't get through it on Friday. Certainly tested it again overnight through early Tuesday morning and fell back. So. You know, we've got, we do have some technical things at play. I think those are probably the key, uh, particularly in the corn market, is the 50-day and the old crop and last month's close in new crop. 
Darren, when we're seeing, and I want to talk about that July new crop 606, it's budding up against those levels today. If you're mm -hmm. a producer watching a market do that, it's tapping at the top of its, uh, its range. It's not moving above it, but it's tapping the top. Do you like making sales there, or do you like to see if it can push above it before you pull the trigger? If I have any old crop still in the bin that needs to move before the next, I'm looking at that and I'm, and I'm looking at basis, you know, basis strength and a penny net last week. I'm letting go of some old crop corn. You know, I'm going to go ahead and sell it. it it's just an attract. This is what you want. I mean, you've got you've got a strong basis. You've got a rally in the futures, maybe getting a little bit over overheated here uh, short term. So, yeah, I think you let some of it go. Uh, I I'll probably hold on to a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't mind being cleaned out of old crop. You know, it's a good price, depending on, on what your basis is. You're going to get a good cash price for it. So if I'm still holding some, I'm looking at this and I'm using it to make some sales. Could look at the, you know, 610, maybe 620, but those might be a bit out of range short term. New crop, I'm not real crazy about selling it right here. Uh, you know, begin, we're, we're within a couple cents of April's close now. Uh, let's see if we get a bullish reversal. If not, maybe we have to change our strategy because the risk of this market is, is that the cash market, meaning the new crop cash market as well, the 2020 through 24 cash market could follow that path laid out by 2013, 14, where it just collapses. If we see a big production, uh, if we see a big crop production this, this coming year. So that is the risk is that, the, is that we could still see December 23 and the subsequent futures markets or contracts collapse similar to what we saw in 13, 14 right now. It doesn't look like it, but it could certainly happen. All right, Darren. Well, talking about prices collapsing, looking at the Kansas City wheat market today, it certainly appears as though that's what's happening. 24 to 31, excuse me, 31 cents down on the day front month contracts. Did we find another bunch of Kansas City wheat here over the weekend <laughs> or what's going on? It rained on a dead crop. And, you know, so the map was green. And when the map is green, the futures are red. And that's really all it amounts to at this point. Uh, you know, we are getting closer to harvest. There is going to be some wheat. Uh, there is going to be some wheat harvested here over the next, you know, uh, four to six weeks. So I don't think it improved the crop all that much. We still see an inverse in the July SEP, SEPTIS future spreads in Kansas City. But there's just really no push for it right now. There's not a lot of demand because, because we don't have much supply. Uh, that always limits demand. And we're, and we're just not seeing anything right now. And there's nobody willing to step in and buy it consistently. We'll get three or four days up and then it washes out within a day. Similar to the corn market, though, we need to keep an eye on where the uh, where the, the hard red winter wheat cash index closed last April. Closed last Oh, hey, Darren, we lost you there for a second. If you could still hear me, jump back in. Sorry, are, uh, can you hear me yep. now? Hey, we got you. You were talking about the April close. What number yep. were you watching there? Uh, 746, and it closed. And right now, it closed last uh, Friday at 7. Oh, uh, right now, it's trading about 757. So we've still got a little wiggle room uh, to see if we can close above that April settlement. All right, Darren, what's the managed money doing in the wheat complex right now? I assume with a move like today, you expect to see aggressive sales. Yeah, you know, they, they just haven't been doing a lot in the wheat market. The last the, the CFTC report that we saw last Friday just didn't show the funds doing all that much. They're still holding a large net short in Chicago, uh, which is, you know, which makes sense because of the bearish future spreads. Uh, but in Kansas City, Minneapolis, they're still holding small net long. So, you know, they're, they're just not doing much. Now, it looks like they're probably going to have, you know, they're probably going to be reducing those positions again. Uh, certainly uh, by the time we get through. 
Hey, Darren, before we let you go here, any other thoughts on the Chicago wheat market here before it uh, before we go for the day? Fundamentally bearish future spreads are covering more than 67 percent full commercial carry. That's going to continue to weigh on the wheat sector as a whole. All right. All right. We're going to continue to watch that, folks. This wheat market just cannot seem to catch a break. We've been talking today with Darren Newsom. He's the senior market advisor over at Bartar, joins us frequently for updates on these markets. And Darren, as always, thank you for joining us here today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather about the factors he's watching. And we're going to get an update on those severe weather events across the Texas Panhandle and the Southern Plains over this past weekend. And what it could mean as John looks out for the impact of drought relief over the summer. Stay tuned for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. 
a message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, I have had the privilege of hosting this show since December of 2021. And in that time, I've had the chance to check in with John Baranek at DTN Weather Weekly to talk about what to expect in the week ahead. And for the past almost two years that John and I have been having these weekly conversations Every week, the topic has come up, what's going on with that drought in the Southern Plains? But this week, we're going to start the conversation a little bit differently with John Baranek of DTN Weather. And John, let's talk about the floods in the Texas Panhandle and the Southern Plains. It was a bit of a 180 down there, wasn't it, this last week? Yeah, I mean, you know, since you came on, we've been in La Nina conditions, and that really you know, favors drought and dryness there in the plains. But, you know, now that we're getting out of it, we we're starting to see some, some heavier rainfall returning there. Um, but it's kind of coming at, at a more extreme clip than you would expect um, right now. So yeah, you mentioned we had some, some flooding there in, in West Texas, kind of Southwest of, of Amarillo. And it was pretty, uh, pretty intense. Uh, a lot of towns were kind of flooded out, but you know, if you look at the, the cropland around them, um, yeah, <laughs> they actually soaked up that water pretty well. And you got to imagine with how deep this drought has been over the last couple of years. I mean, they'll take all the water they can get, even if they have to, you know, uh, deal with some of the flooding that unfortunately might happen in a couple of spots. Um, you know, getting this, this water is, is a little bit more important than, than the, the, the negative effects of, of some flooding, but there has been some, so it's, that's not something to just kind of scoff at. Uh, when you're dealing with drought, um, you know, flooding can still occur in drought. Um, and uh, I know that a couple of rivers there around Amarillo in, in particular are a little high, a little bit in flood stage. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at some of the photos from some of the flooding that occurred over the weekend and, and you look back today, um, it's almost like the flooding didn't happen outside of some of the, the damage that occurred. Uh, soils are dry, so they're soaking it up uh, pretty good. Well, and John, I think that's the question. You know, I, I pulled up the drought monitor, and of course, it's always delayed. It was put up last Thursday, I believe, reflecting conditions as of last Tuesday. But when we see these sort of rain events, I believe seven inches was the the total they tossed out in Hereford, Texas. How much of that is actual drought relief, and how much of that is runoff? And do we have an idea as to how they figure all this stuff up for things like the drought monitor? Yeah, that's a really good question. If you look at the drought monitor specifically, it's kind of subjective. They take a lot of data together. Uh, that includes rainfall, uh, stream flows, and soil moisture, and all sorts of things. And they try to kind of put it in a historical perspective too. But it's it, it comes down to a, a, almost a subjective feeling. So it's not it's not just a, um, uh, did you get enough rain or or have you not had enough rain in the past you know a few months or whatever. It's it's really some some you know, folks behind a, a computer trying to figure out, you know, how bad these impacts to drought really are. So whether or not they see the seven inches there in Hereford, Texas, as, you know, eliminating drought or just kind of reducing it, you know, uh, 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 a category there or not, um, it'll be interesting to see. 
but you can't just, it's not just a, a simple calculation. So, um, I mean, we, we still got plenty of drought down there too. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, we've had a long history uh, of that. So, you know, seven inches is, is a good two months worth of springtime rains down there in Texas uh, or more. So um, it's, it'll definitely ease some conditions down there, but, you know, completely eliminating the drought. I mean, that, that just takes, that it takes a lot of time, even, even if you do get a, a really big event. Cause like you said, a, a lot of that just, you know, when you, when you get a lot of it, it it's tor- tends to run off and just kind of go into streams and rivers. Um, and it doesn't soak all the way in. Um, you know, even if, if, even if, uh, a lot of it does soak into the soil, so it eventually goes off into the stream. So it's going to take, it's going to take a, a bit of time of continued good rainfall down there to, to really eliminate that drought. That certainly makes sense, John, especially when you've got the, that sand ground and that panhandle area packed tight after three years of drought. It's tough right. for any water to be able to infiltrate to begin with. So we've got that soil moisture level certainly rising there in the southern plains. John, looking out over this week, are the opportunities for rains going to continue there across the southern plains, Texas panhandle, Kansas, Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean, the pattern we saw last week is not really a, a mirror image this week, but pretty close. We're going to have daily showers and thunderstorms continuing up and down the plains here all week long. Um, you know, it's going to occur in different spots and different intensity and coverage each day. But each day we've got showers from the Canadian prairies all the way down to Texas. Um, that goes all the way through this weekend and probably parts of next week as well. Uh, we're just in a kind of a stagnant pattern right now. We've had this ridge of, of high pressure kind of up in Canada and it's kind of blocking pattern a bit. Um, and, but underneath that across the U S it's not a very strong ridge. It's pretty weak actually. And so we've got all these little kind of little disturbances or just, just weaknesses enough energy to put into the system, uh, with some of the, the heat and moisture around to, to produce those daily showers and thunderstorms. So we'll have uh, continued opportunities there in the plains, uh, for getting some heavier rainfall and reducing some more of that drought. Of course, not everyone's going to get hit out of it. No one ever does. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think we've got some more opportunities here to continue eating away at that, uh, longstanding drought. Well, John, let's move a little farther up the Corn Belt here in the central part of the country. I'm hearing from friends across north central Missouri about the dryness that's rapidly accelerating in that part of the state. Similar stories coming from western Iowa, eastern Nebraska. As you look apart at look at those parts of the Corn Belt, John, are they going to expect any relief this week? Well, you know, last week was a pretty dry week. Um, and this week, at least for that part, you know, when you talk about kind of west of the Mississippi part of the Corn Belt, uh, we've got a better chance of showers kind of popping up here. Not as bet, not as good as as uh, farther west in the plains, but you know, not too bad. At least we get some shower chances moving through. A lot of them should be isolated. It's not big giant thunderstorm clusters that produce widespread heavy rainfall, uh, but it's 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 at least something. And for hopefully uh, everybody gets uh, at least a little bit of something here, so we don't make anything worse. Uh, but that has been the concern uh, ever since last week, since we kind of flipped the pattern from where we've been at uh, from La Nina, where the plains were really dry and, you know, the eastern half of the Corn Belt was really wet. We've kind of flipped that quite a bit. And, you know, the plains are nice and wet now. And we've had uh, a couple of weeks of dryness here um, farther east. And you know, that, that continues this week, unfortunately. Uh, like I said, there's some isolated showers that are kind of really from the, the Mississippi river westward, once you kind of get East, you know, even, even parts of Illinois might see some showers this week. Uh, but you know, once you get farther East than that, it, it continues to look kind of dry this week. Um, so, you know, we've still got some concerns, you know, luckily it's, it's early enough in the crop season that, you know, a little bit of dryness here, even if it's a little bit extended, isn't 
you know, a death knell for, for, for crops or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's not somewhere where you want to start, you know, uh, getting on, on the drier end of things this early, because if we don't get those rains later in the season, that, that turns out to be, you know, some poor conditions and we might see some drought kind of uh, increasing here on, on the, on the drought monitor the next couple of weeks due to these kind of periods of dryness we've been in. Um, so we're a little concerned about that, but not, you know, it's, it's, it's not like what we've seen out in the plains. Uh, so um, even, even with some dryness and drought, we, we've still got some, you know, decent enough soil moisture in a lot of those areas that hopefully we can kind of sustain it here for, for the rest of this week and, and maybe next week we'll, we'll head into some better conditions. That makes sense, John. The, that Eastern Corn Belt has had so much moisture. Those roots have at least something to follow down into the ground here. Before we go, I want to talk in the Mountain West, West Coast. Uh, we, we're seeing some pastures dry up. We've got a lot of enthusiasm here from cattle producers' perspective. Do you see some uh, some moisture chances across the Mountain West this week, John? Uh, we do. So that kind of weakness across the U.S., there's actually kind of a more steady permanent feature out there in the Western states. So we should see some showers really continuing. Um, a lot of that's kind of like Great Basin areas, kind of northern Nevada, uh, northern California, in through eastern uh, Idaho. Some of the other areas might not get as much, but you know, there's still some showers out there and they're going to be kind of daily. So um, things are still good. And we still got a lot of snowpack to melt off um, up there. So overall, I think that the picture there for those, those western states, even if, you know, we've got some dryness around a little bit, it's not too bad. And, you know, the temperatures aren't too extreme yet either uh you know eventually that'll be the case this summer uh, but for right now it's not too bad summer always comes folks worth remembering john before we let you go last week you, you talked a little bit about what's developing in europe we've got the drought in spain the floods in italy those two things still in place for that continent they are but you know something that's uh, a little bit uh different here is we've kind of had kind of like the weakness we have across the u.s we've had some weakness across uh, the, the Mediterranean Sea. So from Spain, from Southern France, all the way through the Balkans and in the, into the Black Sea region, we've had daily showers and thunderstorms kind of popping up. It's been helping at least, uh, in, in Spain, you know, Spain was in some deep, deep drought here this spring. Um, they've had some daily showers, um, you know, nothing too heavy and kind of something that's closer to normal rather than something above normal to help them bring them out of drought, but at least it's something there. Um, and Italy has been able to get to a place where they're worried more about flooding uh, than they are about dryness. So, you know, things have been, you know, honestly in, in, uh, in pretty good shape there, as, at least agriculturally. All right. Things to watch weather-wise around the world as this growing season comes into focus. Folks, we've been talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Yep. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Good to talk to you. Folks, stay with us. When AOA comes back, we're going to talk beans with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data 
to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we're starting off the holiday-shortened week with heavy pressure in the soy complex and across all three wheat complexes, with some of that spilling over into deferred corn contracts, while the front-month July corn contract is hovering still just above that $6 mark down just slightly here in the early trade action. Now, weather forecasts have begun to show models turning cool and wet for the second half of June, but it should remain dry before then. Nonetheless, though, that longer-range outlook appears to be weighing on this complex here as we start off the week. Also in soybeans, in the case of this entire soy complex, uh, beans, soy products, crude oil all lower, possibly due to the favorable forecast here in the second half of June. Trade appears to be expecting a record crop from the U.S. It is already priced in Brazil's record crop. And that's something that could be weighing on this soy complex. Bean meal taking a hit this morning under pressure from California's Proposition 12 requirements as well. In the case of the wheat trade, we're lower along with the rest of the grains with the recent rains in the plains, the hard red winter wheat areas, having an impact somewhat psychologically here on the trade, it appears. Also watching the Black Sea Grain Initiative exports out of the Black Sea Corridor, the slowest since the agreement was originally struck with only three vessels per day being completed for inspection. We see, I mentioned corn, uh, deferreds are 10 to 11 lower with front month July right above $6. Soybeans, 20 to 25, 26 cents lower with pressure in bean meal and bean oil. And then Chicago and spring wheat anywhere from 18 to 25 cents lower with Kansas City wheat down around 30 to 35 cents. In livestock trade, good support with uh, grains lower. That appears to be helping out hogs and cattle with lean hogs. Triple digits higher up over $2.00. Feeder cattle also up over $2 and live cattle up moderately. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. This past week, we saw the Philippines step in with a large order of soybean meal. Following that, we saw the meal market continue to break down throughout the week. And on Friday, I had the opportunity to talk with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor over at Total Farm Marketing. And I asked him specifically about the soybean complex. With that sale earlier this past week, are we opening the door to more soybean sales going forward? Well, I wasn't sure. I put that question to Brian in the context of this week's prices. What's going on with soybeans? We saw a bean meal firm today. I'm I'm inclined to believe that the entire bean complex has come under pressure for various reasons, but it's gotten low enough for now and that this market is primed for a recovery. We'll see if the weather next week uh, aids that thought process or not, but it goes back to the forecast, Mike. The forecast right now does continue to suggest uh, the core of the Midwest stays dry. The drought monitor maps got a little bit more critical this week, and the bulls a little bit more, uh, uh, let's say, favorable and coming out of the woodwork. In addition, I think there's a little bit of relief out there or maybe growing relief. I see the stock market's up 350 points today. That maybe what you're also experiencing or seeing is ideas that this uh, debt ceiling will be this, this will be you know figured out. At least that's the last of what I've seen, that the arrows are pointing that way because you brought it up there, Brian, we don't have to spend much time on it, but if this debt ceiling thing isn't figured out, and I agree, the consensus seems to be that it will, commodities going to be much impacted immediately? Only in the sense that the the, the speculative interests might want to fold their wings in. There's certain kind of uncertainty the market doesn't like, and it doesn't like political uncertainty. So there, there might be some negativity in, in that regard. Uh, on the other hand, um, money looks for opportunity. And if the money says, hey, look, the stock market thing could be problematic, where can I find a bull market? It may quickly look over to the commodities and say, you know, it's getting pretty doggone dry in Iowa and Illinois and southern Minnesota and southern Wisconsin and Indiana. Uh, that's a story. We're at, we're at a corn price that probably still is close to or below the, lo- the cost of production. So I'd like to think that there could be a flex or flux of money into the to the commodity complex, which has been kind of beat up since interest rates have, have moved higher from beginning last last summer, that now it's more about owning the raw commodity and having a bird in hand, especially in front of the growing season. The Northern Hemisphere still produces well over 60% of the world's uh, corn production and exportable uh, crop. Uh, even though Brazil will, will be a, a big factor, um, the Northern Hemisphere is what counts. The Northern Hemisphere is what counts, but of course, producers in the Northern Hemisphere this year are grappling with that monster soybean crop that's coming out of Brazil. Brian, is that crop at least done growing for the time being? Have we finally uh, 156 million metric tons where that thing's going to end up roughly? I, I think so. It, you know, the USDA may make some adjustments there, but I don't see this idea of a big crop getting bigger and surprising us another 10 million metric tons. That bean crop is pretty much in the bin uh, or close to being in the bin. It's the corn crop where the wild card still exists. You could have some weather market yet there uh, that, that could be impactful. Um, I, I would go out on a limb this week and say that I saw any type of real threatening weather to the crop. But remember, Brazil is a, a country that Years ago, the second crop corn was sort of an afterthought. And because some of it got in late, the big concern is, is that the type of soils that this corn is grown in uh, it can become dry very quickly. So if you run into some some warmer temperatures or drier weather in June, still impactful to the crop production, something that still needs to be monitored and watched and, and, and uh, it might have impact. 
All right. Good thoughts there, Brian. You know, looking back at new crop soybeans, back at the early part of February, November beans were at $14. Early part of April, November beans were at $13. Now we're at the tail end of May, November beans dropped below $12. Any chance we can see any of those handles come back into focus here uh, short term? Never say never. Um, I think as long as the world feels that there there's a crop, it'll be tough to really get a lot of people to chase. And so beans are a little different than corn. Uh, beans are a little bit of a better crop, I think, given the current weather market to, to grow than corn. Um, that's one man's opinion, but um, if the market senses that things could get a little squirrely on the on the soybean production, you know, don't, don't be shocked if that spring, I'll use that analogy again, uncoils rather quickly. Um, technically, again, looking at yeah, it's something like new crop beans, that slippery slope theory, but they did finish the week higher. So the technicians have something to sort of stand on. And we'll, we just need to see what the weather brings next week. Earlier in the year, just to give you some perspective, if I if I did a, let's say, call it a study, um, the, the November bean contract um, peaked out uh, at, uh, back in October. Uh, and then it rallied back after that. Uh, what I often look for is is retracements and, and look at history. So to your point, we're over $14. And if I take $14 beans and I times that by 75%, that's $10.50. So history would say it's not unusual to peel off 25% of the value of crop. I'm not that negative. But the point of it is the market's already taken a big chunk of that out. So I think there's a limited downside from here. Farmer selling will slow. And a lot of that circles back to, you know, the end user. And once they see value and the market may stop going down, look for exports to really pick up and in a big way. Um, importers are no different than you or I. If, if something's getting cheaper on a weekly or monthly basis, there's there's no urgency there. There's no pain there. But as soon as it turns, we, we fear there could be pain. That's where your buying comes in play. That makes sense, Brian. Let's turn our focus to the wheat complex here. We had both Chicago and Minneapolis wheat perform fairly strong on the day, both up 10 or more cents here. KC wheat couldn't seem to make it happen. What's happening here? What's with the divergence in the classes? Yeah, I think I think the news in the KC wheat is last week's bearish reversal on the weekly charts kind of looms sort of large. And I think the traders actually were probably saying, okay, Kansas City versus the other markets probably got, got a little bit out of uh, out of well out of its lane that it's got too high versus the other contracts and i think you saw this week i think you saw some spread activity uh happening um the old saying is a, a known fundamental is a useless fundamental so crop tours confirm that boy we've got some really crappy wheat and and yet to, to your point here's chicago where recent crop tours i think the university of illinois was talking about 90 plus bushel yield on on, on a statewide average Yet up 10, 11, 12 cents today. I think that was a reversal of some spreads this week. I would love to be a little more friendly, the wheat complex, but it's disappointed all year. Uh, read an article early in the week about uh, China having uh, increased inventories that they'll substitute in some of their feed pipelines. So you can kind of see why they maybe canceled corn orders. Um, the war is certainly a factor, but it's not a front and center factor. There's just a lot of dynamics. None of them have really been supportive for wheat as of late, other than Kansas City. I, I unfortunately got to think that Chicago wheat probably has a limited upside uh, based on 
our current crop conditions. All right. Things to watch there. Wheat sellers not seeing too many opportunities in the near term, but it is a different story, Brian, when we look over at the cattle complex. Cattle sellers are uh, are kind of sitting in the catbird seat right now. Continue to see this cash price move. We continue to see futures move higher. Close the week, heading into Memorial Day weekend with a little stronger prices. How long can this continue? Yeah, that's it's for some of us. The, the how long can it continue is we're scratching our head because hog prices continue to implode. And at what point does the consumer not chase higher price beef products um, and say, okay, it's just, I, I, pork is a better value, chicken's a better value. That's been sort of the perplexing thing to me that we're in a divergence window. And sometimes I have to remind myself the market doesn't move on my schedule, it, it'll figure itself out. But from a long term perspective, the cattle market is a supply driven market, supply declining market. That is, and we all know the story the drought conditions, higher input costs, demographic, demographics of cow calf dies that have all contributed to these really tight inventories uh, of supply. And the market just keeps grinding higher. So the interesting thing is here we saw April cattle, which is seasonally a, a, a market that has a tendency to uh, be probably the highest of the year. It was higher price than where June is. Cash price is higher price than June is. June contracts sort of stagnated the last several weeks. But this week had a really impressive weekly close, a pretty impressive uptrend. Um, so I don't know if there is any good topping signals yet. Um, I would look for things like stochastics crossing over. They have it on a weekly chart. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe that the trend is still up. I just don't know if these sizzling hot cash prices can continue. At some point, the retailer just isn't going to chase it. At least, at least I want to think that, especially if you talk about recessionary talk and some of these other variables that lead one to believe that the economy, you know, might be chugging along at a pace that's not really conducive to continue to pay for high-priced beef. Brian, you mentioned there there might be some concern down the line when grocers pull back a little bit from this high-priced beef. Did see a split today. Fats higher, feeders pulling back. Could that be some concern about maybe the the future profitability of these steers? It could be. I, I really don't know what to make of today other than I think feeders pulled back because of higher corn. And there's that inverse relationship there. We usually have strong corn days. Usually you don't, won't see the feeders move higher. And so the the discount of the live cattle futures to the cash market and then corn prices rallying today, I think that had the feeder guys saying, look, I don't want to get caught with these high price feeders. I think they put on hedges. I think they got out of some longs. Uh, I think they recognize just, you know, this corn market might be in a in a in a changeover from from bear to bull and uh, that's usually not you know conducive to higher feeders brian before we let you go any other thoughts here in this market around this three-day weekend or folks to think about as they come back into the office for next week you could talk to 10 different people and get 10 different opinions what they think the market is going going to do and then you can look at some of these mathematical models that tell you what historically it has done uh, the market's going to do what it does manage the movement of the market is, is my point. Lots to watch as this year rolls forward, folks. That was Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor with Total Farm Marketing. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And folks, stay tuned. More AOA coming up right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. 
and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Dan Anderson, chair of the Harvest for Hunger campaign with CHS, about how the cooperative and farmer owners are helping their communities. Dan, tell us, what is the Harvest for Hunger campaign? Well, thanks for having me on to talk about a topic that ties into our overall arching purpose of creating connections to empower agriculture. We're living out these values and purpose by helping our communities and towns where we operate. We have discovered that there's a very real need in rural America to help those regional food banks and food shelves. The Harvest for Hunger campaign is an effort that we started over a dozen years ago to help those that are basically less fortunate. We take the month of March where local cooperative business units raise dollars and food to be donated to local food-related charities. Dan, tell us, what contributions have CHS and farmer owners made to feed people? This year, we've raised $610,000 that's going to be donated to over 90 food-related charities. And we've also taken in 110,000 pounds of locally grown specialty foods, which were also donated. Now, since 2011, when we started this campaign, we've raised over $8 million to be donated to local food charities and over 4 million pounds of food. Now, these are just simply fantastic contributions by our farmer owners, our producers, our employees, and our communities. Why is this program so important to rural communities? There's been a steady increased demand on local food banks and food shelves in some regions. These resources are just simply tapped. This is one additional way that we can help those in need and make a difference. How will Harvest for Hunger continue to help people into the future, Dan? We'll continue to support and sponsor this effort across CHS and the regions where we operate in our local communities. At CHS, we are creating connections to empower agriculture. This is just one of those many ways to connect and truly make a difference. That's Dan Anderson, chair of the Harvest for Hunger campaign with CHS. And Dan, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. 
When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. And before we go, I wanted to bring our focus back to the livestock markets today. This Tuesday, after Memorial Day, we continue to see the grains fall apart. The weakness has snowballed in new crop corn. Um, we've seen the December contract now down 13 cents, trading at 521. Below that note that Darren noted, 527 and three quarters was that level he's watching for the end of the month. But as this sell-off has accelerated in the grains, it has certainly put some wind behind the back of the livestock markets. Uh, live cattle up slightly, uh, up less than a dollar here in all contracts. Feeder cattle, however, noticing that cheaper corn are on fire. August feeders up three and a quarter. September up three. Uh, we've got the October also up three. A lot of strength in the deferred month feeder contracts. But also, folks, as we take a look at the hog market, last Friday at the end of the week, heading into Memorial Day weekend, the hog complex was setting life of contract lows. June's, the June lean hog contract settled 2% lower on Friday for a drop of just about $7 last week well hogs are catching fire today we've got the june lean hog contract up three and a half dollars trading at 79.62 and a half july was limit up up the daily uh four dollars uh, 75 cent uh, trading limit now it is it has come off limit a little bit currently only up four and a half dollars per hundred weight trading at 79.17 we'll continue to watch is this the move that brings life back into the lean hog complex can this big can this move be big enough to pull back in that managed money? Well, it remains to be seen because as Darren mentioned earlier in the program, managed money has been sitting on the sidelines, not just in commodities, but in the equity markets as well as this debt ceiling negotiation has drug on for the past three months. Well, those conversations are accelerating. The debt ceiling does have a proposed solution. There is a compromise bill. This was hammered out between President Joe Biden and uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, plus their staff. It was released this weekend. There would be some changes if this bill gets passed. On tomorrow's program, we'll be talking with our friends from the Bipartisan Policy Center. They have been very active in working with both sides to help craft a compromise bill to get this debt limit raised, keep the debt markets functioning, keep interest rates from spiking, which, according to 
market watchers is what would happen if this debt deal were not passed. Um, they'll be joining us tomorrow to fill us in on exactly what to anticipate with this bill. In the meantime, it is headed to Congress. Today, we should get some of the first votes on this bill in the House of Representatives. There is still much horse trading that can happen before this thing makes it across the finish line. So tune in tomorrow and we'll learn more about just what they're trying to get past there in Washington, D.C taking the focus away from D.C. out to the rest of the country. We've got an update here on a trend that I have heard several market watchers raise concerns about, and this is concerns about leverage for the American consumer. We've seen prices, inflation impacting nearly everything folks buy over the past two or three years, and no doubt that's starting to stretch household finances. Well, now that we're starting to get a feel for just how much household finances are beginning to be stretched, and we're learning this from a Benchmark, I should say. Americans, as of now, or perhaps very shortly, depending on who you ask, but expected by the end of May, Americans will be carrying for the first time in history a trillion dollars in our credit card balances. Now, this would be a record large amount that American consumers have kept on credit cards. And folks, if you're one of those keeping additional funds on credit, it's worth remembering that interest rates have been climbing. The interest rate on a new credit card right now is 24%. That's the highest figure we've seen since the mid-1980s on a credit card. The typical American household, as of now, they're saying carries about $10,000 in credit card debt. And they note, if this doesn't sound like a lot of debt, try paying it off at $250 per month with a 24% interest rate. You'll be making payments until 2030 to pay off that $10,000. The concern being, how are consumers going to continue to act, especially, I think, for our audience here at The Meat Case, if they're forced to carry everything on credit and they're seeing that margin erode as those interest rates continue to climb? It's one of those issues that analysts will be watching as we get deeper into the summer. When will these high prices curtail buying at The Meat Case? Hasn't happened yet. We'll continue to keep an eye on it. Did want to give you folks an update. USDA has extended the application deadline for their revenue loss programs. If you recall, these were the two programs left over from the COVID times. These were the Emergency Relief Program, the ERP. This is the phase two, does require more details. It requires more paperwork to qualify for this phase, but that uh, deadline has been extended. In addition, the Pandemic Assistance Revenue Program, that's PARP, if you like those acronyms, the deadline for both of these has been extended to July 14th, 2023. The initial deadline was July 2nd, so they're giving you about another 10 days. And it's a reminder, folks, if you suffered losses over the last three years under COVID or the uh, market disruption, get into your FSA office and talk to the folks there about getting these applications submitted. As I mentioned, these two programs do require more paperwork than the initial emergency relief programs that were unveiled during the Trump and Biden administrations early on, but the money is still there and that application deadline has been extended. So if you're looking for a little extra working capital, get in there and see if you can qualify. In additional news from USDA, they have announced an $8 million investment in with four universities in partnerships to expand measurement and monitoring of soil carbon specifically on working agricultural lands. There has been a lot of debate and discussion around the modeling efforts of carbon sequestration in the soil. Certainly, as farmers out there know, eh, 
the interactions between plants and soil are incredibly complex. So as there are these researchers are building models as to how much carbon can be stored by plants in soil, obviously there's going to be a lot of discrepancies as to how well those different plants work in different environments. USDA has recognized that and they say they're going to spend this $8 million in four different partnerships to support and expand measurement and monitoring of carbon in ag working lands specifically to assess how climate smart practices are affecting carbon sequestration. Hopefully we'll have some more research on this topic that no doubt will be on our tongues for the next several years. Climate smart agriculture, that is. Folks, thanks so much for tuning into AOA today. Tomorrow, we're going to talk supply chains with Professor Jason Miller. We'll also get the detail ahead of Dairy Day with Krista Harden of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.